0: The Precinct Omega Wiki Podcast is supported by Horizon Wars Zero Dark, sci-fi skirmish war games in a fallen earth. Visit WargameVault at WargameVault.com and search for Zero Dark.
1: It's Friday the 16th of July, my name is Roby Jenkins, welcome to another episode of the Precinct Omega Podcast. Stand by coming intelligence. New releases continue to come thick and fast from weird games for Malipo third edition causing me to wonder if the game is enjoying a resurgence somewhere that I can't see it or if it never went away. I particularly love the new iconic fate deck which looks so pretty that I'm tempted to buy one even though I don't play Malifaux. Westphalia Miniatures has previewed a new fantasy giant release. Uh, its resin cast is about six or seven inches tall, I'm guessing, from the photos. This small company continues to add to its impressive fantasy range, and although some pieces are fun riffs on pop culture figures, they are still doing something new and interesting. These pieces show the continuing value of traditional sculpting over digital, and they are something to be seen. Victrix has released a new plastic Norman infantry box that contains 60, min- 60 minis for just £38, which is just an insanely good deal if you're in the market for 28 mm Normans. And our friends at GCT Studios have announced that pre-orders are open for their new Bushido Risen Sun two-player starter box with Six minis, cards, tokens, and rules for £38. Not quite the jaw-dropping bargain of Victrix, but for a -a game-in-a-box product, it's a decent offering. The box contains three minis each for the Prefecture of Ryu and the Serpent Clan Ito, but interestingly, no dice, battle mat, terrain, or measuring sticks. Compare and contrast with the latest pre-order release from Corvus Belli for Infinity the Game, which is Operation Crimson Stone. This is not a cheap release, clocking in at a full RRP of 119 euros, which is $140, or basically £100. This is a heavyweight release for Corvus Belli, but for your money you get 14 miniatures, seven from each of the Ariadna and Nomad's factions. You get a playmat, some... Uh, printed cardstock terrain, dice counters, and a measuring widget. Now this week I am going to look at the subject of getting started in a new game. What does it really cost, and what should you look for before you decide to jump?
0: Prepare for Intel Analysis
1: As usual there's an elephant in my wargaming room when it comes to my choice of topic, because I didn't mention that recent days have also seen the arrival in stores of Age of Sigmar Dominion, the new Warhammer Age of Sigmar starter box containing 60 plastic minis split between the Uruk Cruel Boys and the Stormcast Turtles. And I almost don't want to talk about it because despite appearances, not all starter boxes are equal, and what might look like a good deal, may in fact, well, not be. Let's start with where this week's news began, with Malifaux, because if you wanted to get started from scratch with Malifaux now, it's surprisingly difficult. The core boxes are great little sets of minis, but they don't contain any rules beyond the character cards for the minis in the box. If you want to get started in Malifaux, you're going to need to make a minimum of four separate purchases. The core rules, a faction box, a fate deck, and a core starter force. Sorry, I said a faction box, I meant a faction book. Core rules, faction book, fate deck, core starter force. The core rules are $20, the faction book is $25, the fate deck is another $20, and then you get to the minis, which are $55 for a starter force of six. That's $120, and you've got probably six minis. Odds are, your opponent is going to need to expend the exact same amount, although I suppose you could share a core rulebook. So, being charitable, you're getting started in Malifaux at around $220. Ouch much? So, let's look instead at Bushido. £38 is pretty much $50, and you've got everything you need apart from dice, which is a weird oversight. Now, sure, you don't have any terrain or measuring sticks or playing surface, and yes, you've only got six minis. But the point about Bushido is that six minis is all you need to have an entertaining battle. Malifaux's core boxes are built around the same idea that six minis is enough to have a good time. Plus, when you get down to it, you're going to build and paint six resin minis a lot quicker than the dozen plastics in your two Malifaux core boxes, especially if those plastics are as fiddly to assemble as they used to be. Which brings me to two interesting points surrounding getting started in a new miniatures war game. Content to table and time to table. Bushido is what I call a low content to table game. It requires a very low investment of content to actually be able to play. In simplest terms, you don't need much stuff before you roll dice. Time to table is a related idea. It asks the question of how much time is required between opening a box and starting the first battle. And the two ideas aren't identical because time to table includes the amount of time you have to spend learning the rules before you can play, as well as the time it takes to assemble your stuff. It's easy to see at a glance if a game has low or high content to table. It's a lot harder to work out from that what the time to table is going to be. And that's before we even tackle the question of whether a low content to battle or time to table is necessarily a good thing. So I'll tell you what. Let's put that to one side and look instead at Operation Crimson Stone. And can I take a second to say, how much I hate Corvus Belli's naming conventions for these operations boxes. Yes, I also hate the US government's naming conventions for its public eye military campaigns. Desert Storm and Enduring Freedom, they're just... uh... Whenever a marketing focus group is involved in a plan to kill people, I feel a particular kind of dirty, just from general proximity. But my reservations about Corvus Belli's approach are less aesthetic and more just intelligence. Do you know how hard it is to keep their different operations boxes separate in my head? We've got Operation Ice Storm, Operation Caldstorm, Operation Crimson Stone, Operation Red Veil. Vale. They just kind of blur into an homogenous lump of stuff in my memory. And maybe that doesn't really affect anyone's buying decisions, but it does annoy me. But that aside, their decision to include not only minis and rules, but also counters and buildings and dice and a playmat are all geared towards reducing the content to table burden. Infinity, contrasted with Bushido or Malifo, is a relatively high content game, as well as the minis, and seven is pretty much the minimum army size. But you're also going to need a lot of counters, and templates and cards and dice and a measuring device and the game also demands a pretty dense selection of terrain with a high content ratio putting everything in the box is a smart call it pushes the price up but it makes the process of getting to the table a lot easier but of course Infinity is also played with white metal minis. Assembling these for battle is going to take a lot longer than either the resin Bushido minis or the plastic Malifaux core ones. So Infinity is still struggling with a high time-to-table burden. And then Dominion. When it comes to a content score, Age of Sigmar and 40k are right up there. These are games that demand and encourage large collections. Dominion has a lot of minis in it, but the reason for that is because the game literally can't be played with any fewer and still provide a decent experience. And Games Workshop knows this, which is why the minis in the Dominion box aren't just plastic. They are push-fit plastic. By making each mini able to be assembled in seconds, they have dramatically reduced their time to table. Which is why I find it curious that Games Workshop has chosen to exclude almost every other piece of content from the Dominion box. No dice, no tape measure, no terrain. The only thing in there besides the miniatures is a rulebook. And it's a full rulebook, hardback, everything. Operation Christmas Bone, sorry, Crimson Stone, only contains the Code 1 version of the Infinity Rules, which is the stripped-down, simplified version with substantially fewer bells and whistles. The Games Workshop has gone all in on their Age of Sigma rules. Now, admittedly, the Age of Sigma rules are simpler by an order of magnitude than the full Infinity rules, but they still aren't something a complete newcomer is going to absorb in a single sitting. And embedding them amid all the rest of the main rulebook's content is an interesting decision. I suspect it wasn't one that Games Workshop made lightly. You see, I don't think Games Workshop really sees Dominion as a starter box in the same way that we might think they do. I think they see it more as a tool to win back people who are already engaged. Dominion is a product aimed at people who already play Warhammer 40,000, or who played Warhammer Fantasy but move to other games when the old world got blown up it's being pitched to i think at people who maybe bought their first age of sigma box set but found that early free form concept just too radical to grok meanwhile infinity is also aimed at people who already play 40k its use of white metal assumes a familiarity with the material but everything else about it assumes that it's going to have to inoculate players against a lifetime of assumptions about how miniatures war games work, which is what Code 1 is designed for, easing people who are already into miniatures wargaming over the learning curve of a system entirely different to anything they are likely to have played before. And then there's Malifaux. I wish I could glean some kind of insight into how Malifaux is doing, financially. I'm afraid I find US federal government websites hard enough to navigate, and state government websites are just a special kind of hell to me. So if any of my US listeners are in a position to send me any public documents relating to Weird Games' business, revenue or funding, I'd be very happy. Just reading into the company's behaviour, my impression is that Weird Games is now exclusively pitching itself to people who already play Malifaux. There is no two-player starter set in their catalogue because no one would buy it. Their desire is to keep those who are already engaged and invested buying new releases. This is a deeply risky tactic because the community isn't growing, then it's dying. I will freely admit that I have greatly exaggerated reports of Malifaux's death In the past. The game still has a strong and positive community and it's doing better than almost any other in attracting 20 and 30-somethings into miniatures wargaming from loosely related communities. Like indie RPG fans, steampunk cosplayers, and pirate metalheads. Pirate? What? I don't know. I'm just told it's a thing. In any case, Malifaux is cheerfully doing its own thing, and if they can afford to keep releasing this many new plastic box sets, I kind of have to assume that they can afford it. Somehow. It's all
0: that jizzy pirate metal revenue.
1: Hey, look, apparently Malifaux is also doing really well appealing to more women and queer wargamers. I'm just saying that I think they're doing something right. I just don't know what it is. Anyway, we need to talk about price. You almost certainly know what a loss leader is, but if you don't, it's a product in which a company deliberately loses money, or at least only breaks even in order to see a competitive price that draws customers towards making other other purchases that deliver the profit. For Games Workshop, for years, they have treated their two-player starter sets as loss leaders, or at least nearly loss leaders. Their core rulebooks, similarly, have often been priced only barely above the cost of sale. If you want to know why, just look at the many, many people simultaneously buying new minis and complaining about the cost of new minis. It's the Heroin Dealer's strategy. First time is free, or at least... First time is cheap enough to feel like a bargain. Now, I'm not going to question whether that does or doesn't make sense, but I will say that it explains how Games Workshop can sell 60 minis for £125 and then sell one mini, Gardas Steel Soul, I'm looking at you, for £23.50. So you could buy five Gardas minis or 60 other minis and a hardback rulebook for the same price pretty much no one else in the industry can afford to do this every other starter box kit is priced to make a profit typically of a minimum of 40 percent over the cost of sale cost of sale by the way isn't the same thing as how much it costs to manufacture Cost of sale takes into account manufacturing, shipping, storage, handling, the work of the designers, and every penny a company needs to spend to deliver a product to market. Cost of sale numbers are why small businesses tend to rationalise their SKUs once they reach a certain size. It's why Games Workshop's Bits service was wrapped up about 10 years after it stopped being profitable. 40% over cost of sale leaves room for a manufacturer to offer bulk and retailer discounts at 20-30% to and still turn a profit. So when you look at Games Workshop's low, low price for Dominion, remember that a huge chunk of their sales are going to actually sell at substantially less than that in order to get them onto retailer shelves at the same time, remember that Games Workshop has supermarket levels of influence over its independent retailers. Many small retailers can be persuaded to sell products like Dominion at cost because they know it will get customers through the door. So when a company like GCT Studios pitches a game in a box at a price like £38, you start to understand why it looks like it does. Six resin minis and a book in a box is what we call an achievable goal. For what amounts to a part-time business? A product of that scale is modest enough that they can be sure to keep up with manufacturing demand, create enough stock to fulfil pre-orders, and enough surplus to get it onto retail shelves at a price margin that can still be competitive and yet still make a profit. So, of all of these box sets... Which one should you buy? Which of these box sets constitutes the best deal? Well, from my perspective, it's GCT Studios. You see, when I'm looking to buy into a new game, I don't really care about the content to table. What I want is the shortest possible time to table. Also, I'm a hobbyist and a painter, but I'm really, really slow. I don't have a huge amount of time when it comes to painting miniatures that are just for me. Uh, And so when I do, I want them to look as awesome as I can possibly manage. Consequently, the fact that the Bushido box only contains six minis is a huge bonus to me. Six minis is a completely achievable target. And they also happen to look pretty bloody awesome. I'd prefer white metal to resin, but resin is still fine. With the bushido box i reckon i could read through the rules and the character cards and grok how the game works and how the minis synergize in about the same amount of time as it would take to get the minis in the box painted and that's just perfect that it's also under 40 pounds is just a bonus for the record though i won't be buying risen sun why not because i have absolutely no time in which to be messing around with yet another game on top of the ones I already play. Unless someone felt moved to send me a free review copy, of course. Just saying. So, before I descend into full-on shilling... Too late. ...I'll get to the other two companies I mentioned, Victrix and Westphalia. Now, I'm mainly picking them out because they've got cool-looking mini-releases and no associated game. I've recently heard that the casting quality that folks are getting from Westphalia is a bit disappointing, and that they are casting in resin, which is a shame in my opinion. Their designs still rock. I think they'd do better in white metal. That's all I'm saying. The point being, of course, that the other way to get started quickly with any game at a relatively low cost is just collect the minis you enjoy. Buy them, build them, paint them, then... Put them away and wait for a game that would suit them to cross your path. Ideally, one that's miniatures agnostic. Which, obviously, brings us to Precinct Omega.
0: Intelligence logged. and Analysis confirmed. Applying data.
1: I love the idea of a game in a box from Precinct Omega. I'm certainly not going to say it could never happen. A uh, Kringle loan, I mean... Crimson stone-type box with a team of customisable heroes and a small red force, along with rules and terrain and counters. I think that would be a commercial dream come true, if I had the capital and the marketing resources to make that into a thing. But for the foreseeable future, that's not how Precinct Omega does stuff. I've tried to reduce the content-to-table ratio for my games as far as I reasonably can. That's why I use a normal deck of playing cards, and why, in Infinite Dark, I try to write rules that would accommodate any size or shape of base. Technically, you might want a good number of counters in my games, if you want to play competitively. But you'd be surprised, I think, just how much you can do with a few pennies in any Horizon Wars game. The D12 is the main addition to to content-to-table that obstructs some folks from enjoying my games. But... I refuse to apologise for that. The D12 is absolutely crucial to how the Horizon Wars mechanics work, and without it, the game would be a structurally worse experience. I like to think that the time-to-table for Horizon Wars games is almost as low as it could be. At every step in the design process, I've tried to come up with the most creative, positive ways to reduce the time-to-table that I can, and that's going to continue to be how I write games. Before I wrap up, I just want to talk about a final key difference between content to table and time to table. The process of gathering and creating content before the table ought to be fun. From assembling and painting your minis, to writing your army lists, to setting up the terrain, the interaction between the players and their content is supposed to be engaging. So, increasingly, content to table isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as the players can get there eventually you can see this in five parsecs from home there's a very high uh, content to table ratio in that game considering that it's miniatures agnostic but the content is part of the game creating your crew and their backstory and working out where your ship is and what you're trying to do in each mission it's fun it's part of that narrative meanwhile just trying to find all the stuff you need to get playing isn't fun. If you have to have exactly five dice in five different colours, each with a different number of sides, that's dull admin polyversal. I am looking at you. That doesn't mean that you can't do this. But if you do do this, you have to make it as easy as possible for the player. You have to practically place the correctly sized and coloured dice in into their hands, as Colin's Epic Wargaming did with their Kickstarter backers, and as Starbreach does with its custom dice sets. But trickiest of all, not everyone will have the same experience of content. What's content for some players is needless admin to others, so your experience of a game's content-to-table ratio, as opposed to its time-to-table ratio, might be quite different to someone else's.
0: Recognitive Function Online. Logic Engine Online. stand by for predictions.
1: We'll be back on the subject of design next week. I am, by the way, on holiday roundabout as you listen to this. And if all goes to plan, uh, I'll be on holiday the week after as well. But I've pre-recorded this episode and the following weeks. I can say this simply because if anything world-shattering happens in miniatures wargaming in the next two weeks, and I don't refer to it, that's why. My conversation with Gav Thorpe last week has had me thinking about emergent properties. It's one of those subjects that I never get tired of, so you can expect the conversation to touch upon some philosophical, political, social and technological areas, along with good old miniatures wargaming but it will be mostly miniatures wargaming, as we talk simply about how mechanics can be leveraged to create outcomes that are greater than the sum of their parts, and even outcomes entirely unanticipated by the designers themselves. So I hope you'll join me when I talk about that next week.
0: The Precinct Omega Game Design Podcast is supported by our patrons on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash precinct omega to help us continue developing new games and creating hobby content for war games enthusiasts all over the world